Good, how are you doing? Who's, who's really hot? I think if you're at the back, you're much hotter than if you're at the front, just so you know. So in the future, uh, there's uh, some prime seats down here. As an English person, I don't know if it's uh, true in Denmark, but uh, this is really low. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not saying you're short, I'm just saying it's really small. Um, I don't know about if it's true in Denmark, but in England we're obsessed with the weather, so we just talk about it all the time. So if it's hot, we just talk about how hot it is all the time. And if it's, if it's raining, we just talk about how it's raining all the time. We're not very interesting people, really. Um, today, I'm going to talk to you, though, about hope. And um, I want to talk to you about how to be a hope-filled person. How to be a hope-filled person. And we're going to read from Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. And I'm using the New International Version, which I think you can get maybe on, on your phones, uh, on biblegateway.com. But if you, if you want to follow along in Danish, that's uh, true too. That's good too. Although, um, worth bearing in mind that sometimes we have more words. So sometimes we might have a, you know, I think we have two words for grace and mercy, for example, and you just have one word, nula. nula, nula. <laughs> I just pretend I'm eating a potato and, a, and it will sound right, won't it? Um, and sorry that for the lack of a friend's accent. It's worth always bearing in mind that English did start in England. Um, so it says this in Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Today I want to talk to you about how to be a hope-filled person. Uh, here's a picture. Uh, are you a, let me ask you a question. Are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? Uh, do you know what that means? It means like, are you, when you look at this, do you, are you like, oh, it's half full or half empty? Uh, we call it pessimists or optimists. Um, of course, there's always the smart person who says this, and I'm just putting it on for you. Um, I'll let you think that one through. But are you, uh, are, what kind of person are you? Uh, when you look at the future, um, what, how do you look at it? Are you someone who's like, the future's going to be amazing. Everything's going to go right. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be super. Or are you a person, when you look at the future, you think, oh my goodness, life's going to be difficult. Things aren't going to work out. My, my studying isn't going to go as I hope. My friendships aren't going to work out. Things aren't going to be as I want them to be. Optimists and pessimists. This is what optimism means. A disposition, there you go, or tendency to expect the best and see the best in all things. Optimistic people are people who uh, see the best in everything. And they, based on the circumstances, based on their analysis of the data, when they look around and they think, oh, things could be, are going to be great. They're always going to be the best. And they're people who wake up in the morning and if it's raining, they think, oh my goodness, what a great day for the plants. You know, if they wake, people wake up in the morning, they, they always see the best. And maybe you're an optimist. Give me a show of hands if you're an optimist. You, you look forward and you're like, yes, I'm optimistic. Everything's great. I see the best. Okay, and then we have pessimists. <laughs> the pessimist who just cheered needs to switch, uh, needs to switch teams. Um, <laughs> 
That was amazing. Uh, a pessimist, a disposition or tendency to expect the worst and see the worst in all things. Uh, I won't ask you to put your hand up because you'll, you'll find that difficult. Um, pessimists, of course, often call themselves realists. Um, but uh, 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 these are people who, you know, uh, we, things are going good. Things might be going really good with something. And, uh, and we're preparing for when it won't be good. Uh, we can be having a great day, and we can be worried that tomorrow won't be a great day. Uh, again, based on circumstance, uh, the evidence, when we look around, when we think about our experience, things that might have happened to us in the past, uh, life is telling us, no, it won't work out as you expect. Um, of course, as Christians, we're actually neither optimists nor pessimists. Because uh, optimism is based on the, circ- on the circumstances. It's based on your experience. It's based on what you think about the world. It's based on how you interpret something. Y- you might walk out and think it's sunny. What a great day to get a suntan. And someone else might walk out and think, oh, it's sunny. What a great day to get sunburned. Uh, it's all based on circumstance. It's based on something else, on, on, on what's going on at that moment in time. But you know, Christians... We're hope-filled. It doesn't matter. You might be an optimist, but you're actually called to be someone who's a person of hope. And you might be by nature a pessimist, but that doesn't matter because you're called to be a person of hope. You're called to be someone who's hope-filled, that when you look at the future, regardless of the circumstance, whether they be in your favor right now or whether they're against you, you're a person of hope. You imagine a different way forward because your life isn't based on what's happening right now, but based on a bigger story. Paul wrote, there we go, a bit nice picture of hope. <laughs> Paul uh, wrote this letter to the Romans and uh, this part of Romans, he, um, he's moving from talking about some really big ideas to what those big ideas might mean for us here. And in our passage just now, we've read since this, therefore we've been justified through faith, and this is we have peace, and because we have peace, we have grace, and because of grace, we have hope. Let's have the next slide. Peace, faith, grace, and hope. He, as he moves from what's happened before to go forward, he talks about these four big ideas. First of all, peace. That you and I have been brought into a relationship of peace with God. Uh, you've been brought into something. We talked a bit about that uh, yesterday and Cal spoke about it too. That we have faith. We dare to believe the words spoken over our lives. That God is for us. That he's not against us. That he loves us. That he rescues us. He's on our side. And then Paul talks about grace. And he says, look, we've received grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God on your life. You totally didn't deserve it, but he chose you. Totally uh, didn't make it happen on your own, but he chose it. And because he chose it, you do deserve it. Because he says it, you do now have it. Uh, But then Paul goes on to say, um, peace, faith, and grace uh, lead to hope. And then it's like in his letter, he pauses and says, well, we really ought to talk more about hope. And so the next part of his letter, he goes on to talk more about hope, doesn't he? He says, look, that's what we now have. We now stand in hope. Hope is an amazingly powerful thing. Who's ever seen um, the film Shawshank Redemption? I don't know. It's like an amazing film. If you haven't seen it, you need to go home 
uh, probably now and watch it. Uh, it's an amazing film, and it's about a guy called Andy Dufresne who's wrongly accused of murder, and I won't tell you how it ends because I'll ruin it for you. Uh, but uh, he is wrongly accused of murder, and he goes, he's sent to prison, and he makes friends with a guy called Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman. And, uh, and, uh, he, and Red says this to him. Red, uh, Andy talks to him about hope, and Red says this to him. Hope, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You'd better get used to that idea. Uh, they're locked inside a prison. And Andy is talking about hope and saying, we've got to have hope. We've got to imagine a different way forward. And Red says, look, hope, don't do that. When you're locked inside something, hope is dangerous. But you know, the thing about our gospel is dangerous ideas are really exciting ideas when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to him, something that might seem dangerous is actually just really, really exciting. A few years ago, when I was thinking about what to do next with my life, and I'd been a pastor in this great church in Sheffield, and I was like, do I really want to go on and lead my own church? And um, I was invited to go to Gateshead, and no one really goes to Gateshead. I mean, they even told me it was Newcastle, uh, because Newcastle's a great city, and Gateshead sits on the south of the city. And... um, it's, it's historically deprived. Uh, it lost all its industries in the 1980s. Uh, one in four children there live in poverty, are growing up in poverty. Uh, I'm involved in a school, and some of the children there have holes in their T-shirts because their parents aren't buying them new clothes, for whatever reason. And uh, we were invited to go to Gateshead and to uh, start this new church. And I remember sitting across from the church looking at this great big building and, and the overgrown gardens outside and these old signs on the door. And they'd closed the doors. They were just using a side entrance. Uh, there was just six of them left. And I remember looking at it thinking, there is no way I want to come here. I don't, I don't want to be in this place. I want to go to the heart of the city where all the trendy, cool hipsters are, where I can drink great coffee and have a full church and we can all just be really happy all the time. I don't want to go here. Uh, I was like, God, don't you have something that's just a little bit sexier that I could do? You know, just like a little bit better. And, um, and I just kept saying, you know, I just kept feeling like the God, God was saying, uh, no, this is, this is where I want you to go. And I'd speak to my wife and she'd be like, yeah, I think this is where God wants us to go. And, and, and I couldn't shake this feeling that we ought to go, that God was calling us to go. But I really, really didn't want to go. Because uh, 1% of people go to church there. Well, how was on earth were we going to build a church from that? Uh, historically, 50 years of underinvestment, 50 years of people walking away from Jesus in that place. I didn't want to be a person who went there. And I, I remember walking into my boy's room, and my boy loves Lego which is good for the Danish economy, so you should be grateful for him. And, uh, he, and uh, he loves, absolutely loves Lego. And I walked into his room, and you know, like there's Lego everywhere on the floor. And uh, you know how Lego is like the most painful thing in the world to stand on. Like, I don't know what it is about it, but if you stand on it, it's like the worst feeling ever. And so I walked into his room, and I was like, whoa, Johannes, your room is such a mess. And there's just pieces and brokenness, broken bits of pieces everywhere. And he said, oh, daddy, it's not a mess. I'm building something here. And um, I remember uh, just a short time after that, the Lord speaking to me. And I was like, Lord, it's such a mess, Gateshead. I mean, no one wants to live there. It's a mess. And I felt the Lord say to me, um, it's not a mess. It's like Johannes' room. Uh, You're just supposed to build something. 
You're supposed to pick up the pieces and build something there. And, and that's what it means to be a person of hope. It means to be a person who walks into a room of ruins, a, a load of bricks on the floor and says, oh, you, you see bricks? Oh, I see opportunity. Uh, you see a mess? Oh, I see something where God's going to build something. Uh, it's a dangerous idea, but it's an exciting idea too. Uh, what does it mean to be hope-filled then? How do we cultivate a life of hopefulness? Well, Paul says this, doesn't he? He says, suffering, he says, look, we not only uh, say, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So Paul says, look, um, these big ideas of peace, faith, grace, and hope, let me expand one of them, hope. And let me explain to you how you might be a person of hope. This dangerous idea, this person, a person who builds from the ruins. Let me uh, play with that for you and explain how you might develop that character in your life. And first of all, he says, look, suffering produces perseverance. Uh, I absolutely, I love to run. I used to love to play football, but then um, I started playing with like, I noticed that the people playing were getting younger and they were getting better than me. I, I was getting older and worse. I couldn't work it out. But so I stopped playing football and started to run. And I love to go on like really long runs. Uh, and so I uh, enter like half marathons and marathons and things like that. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently about it and saying, look, uh, we always go for a PB. We're always trying to get faster. Uh, we're always trying to get like under 130 for our half marathon, under 310 for our marathons. Like we're always working really hard on trying to get these times. And I was saying to him, you know, the thing that I always forget is it's really hard. Uh, I do all this training. And I think for some reason in my head, I think when I get onto the race day, it's going to be easy. I'm just going to be, you know, kind of like the, there'll, be, there'll be chariots of fire playing in the background, you know, that song. And I'll just be running. I won't be even sweating. I'll just be kind of like, like, a, like gracefully running this race. But that is never what happens. Like the first 5K of a race, I'm like, this is good. I'm, I'm on this. The next, I get to 10K, I'm like, oh, my time's good. But then I start to feel... Like, maybe it's not going to work. And then at 12K, 15K into a half marathon, I'm always, like, dead. You know, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I can't do this. And then I start to have this internal debate, which goes like this. You should stop now. Just stop. Don't keep going. Just stop. And, and then you kind of, like, you notice that where you had all these plans and all these techniques to your running before. But as you kept going, as you keep going... You, you just don't do it as well. It becomes really, really hard work. And I don't know if you have like events like that here, but uh, when we have events like that in England, people stand on the side of the road and offer you sweets. Uh, children will offer you candy as you run. I hate it at that point. I'm like, guys, take your children away. I mean, it's just so difficult at that moment in time. But here's what I've learned about running. It's the suffering that produces the perseverance. Um, when it gets hard... That's when you actually get good. If anyone's ever trained for anything, it's in the moment of training that's difficult when you start to get good at the thing you're doing. It's only when we push ourselves. At suffering produces perseverance. If you, um, if you just walk along as though it's a normal day and everything's fine, it won't produce in you that perseverance. But sometimes things will happen in us and we'll have to choose to keep going. Uh, maybe you're going through something in your life right now where you have to choose to keep on going. Uh, where you have to choose to put one foot in front of the other and say, I'm keeping on, keeping on. What am I doing right now? I'm keeping on, keeping on. I'm suffering, but my suffering is leading me to persevere. Uh, my suffering is leading me to keep at it. Perseverance means to keep on going with something. I'm keeping on, keeping on 
right now. And that's, according to Paul, when we do that, what happens in us is we develop character. Because he says, perseverance produces character. I've found that as I've learned to run and learned to push through when I've been suffering to perseverance, I've developed the character of a runner. Uh, I know now that I can keep going. And if you, as a disciple, when the suffering comes, when it becomes difficult, when you're like, I'm not really sure about this anymore, when God might feel far from you or not as near as he was before, or when people say things or do things or when things happen, if in those moments you choose to keep on keeping on, then what you will develop in your life is the character of discipleship. Uh, your life will start to look like it. Uh, when you don't want to read the Bible, you still do. Uh, when you don't want to go to church, but you still do. Uh, when you don't want to be loving to the people around you, but you still do. Uh, that perseverance will create in you the character of discipleship. That decision to stay in the room. That decision to stay on the track. To keep on going. Paul says suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And then he says this. Character produces hope because what happens is uh, we persevere with Jesus we persevere with him and as we persevere with him he starts to create in us his character so that what happens in our lives is we don't look at the circumstances anymore we're not defined by the day anymore or by the moment we start to be defined by Jesus and that produces in us character let me tell you about my friend Andrew. Uh, Andrew uh, graduated from Cambridge University. It's very impressive. You should like, I don't know if you should woo or something. From Cambridge University. One of the greatest universities in the, in the, uh, in the whole world, I think. And he graduated a f- with a first in mathematics. So like, that's no small achievement. And uh, he could have gone on to do anything. He could go on to do e- economics. He could have gone to... Uh, to the city in London and earn millions of pounds trading in stocks. He could literally have gone on to do anything. Uh, But Andrew didn't do that. Andrew, while at university, got involved in something called Just Love. And Just Love is about uh, how do we create a more loving and just society in our country right now. And he got involved in it and he got called into a, a, a taken up with a sense of vision. And someone said to him one day, you know, Andrew, you should become a teacher if you want to change the world. And so he signed up for something called Teach First. And Teach First uh, invited him to come to Gateshead. And so he got on a train from Cambridge, from Cambridge University with his first class degree. He got on a train and he took the train four hours north to the Gateshead. And he got a job in one of our schools, one of our failing schools. And the thing about Teach First is uh, they only put teachers into difficult schools. And they train teachers in a difficult school. And they take people who've got a first-class degree, like the best degree you can get, and they put them in the most difficult schools they can find, and they train them to be teachers in that environment. And Andrew came and he got involved in this school. And this school's really tough. It's so tough that it's actually going to close down now. Uh, but he got involved in this school, and, and he came across children who, uh, whose parents just weren't interested. And he came across children who... Um, who don't have food in the holidays, just aren't fed in the holidays. Uh, children who are born in many people's eyes to fail, but whom God has a plan for. And uh, he got involved in this school, and uh, he joined our church. And uh, what has he done over the last two years that I've known him? Uh, he's done exactly this. There's an element to which his life has been suffering in doing this. He's chosen to walk away from certain things and walk towards other things. Uh, He's had to get up at 5.30 on a wet, grey morning in Gateshead 
take his self to a school where the children will throw things and ignore him and none of them want to learn. And he's persevered. He's kept going with them. And as he's kept going with them, in him has developed character. He's kept on going. He chose to stay in that room in that school. And character has grown up within him. And he wrote an article recently. He said, you know, um, from character has come hope. And he said, you know, Christians, we're supposed to be the most hopeful people on earth. We're supposed to go to places of despair. We're supposed to go to places where people say those children are born to fail and say, no, that's not true. There's a different story, a different story, and we must tell it. And so Andrew has done that, and this summer he'll launch a uh, project in my school, in my church, where he'll take children and we'll feed them together and he'll help them learn over the summer so that they can be the best that they're made to be. Why? Because suffering in him has produced perseverance. Perseverance has created character and character hope. He is to them the good news of Jesus. He brings it every single day. How do you be hope-filled? You persevere, and you allow perseverance to create a new character. And then character to create hope. So that you can be a people. In this room right now, the question is, who will you be? Will you be a person of hope? Will you go into places of despair in this country and across this world? And be someone who allows God to create in them character. Because you kept on keeping on. And as you did, God made you a hope-filled disciple. Uh, Paul goes on to say this. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God won't let you be put to shame. If you pursue him with perseverance and allow him to create character in you, the character of Jesus. And if you allow that to turn into hope, he won't put you to shame. If you're a person of hope, you'll never be put to shame with him. In the end, all will be well. And if it's not well, it's not the end. That's the gospel message. Um, I remember very early on in our journey of planting this church, we were sat around our din- dining table, me, and we planted with 17, the 17 of us. And we left uh, good jobs and we left the center of, of a cool city and uh, we moved to this place. And I remember sitting around um, this table and we were sharing our experiences and we were about five months in and it was raining and it was cold and, uh, and no one knew where to get good coffee. And I remember just one after one, we were like, this is really hard. This is really hard. This is really difficult. What was God doing in us at that moment in time? He was calling us to surrender to him, to keep on going, to allow that sense of it's a bit difficult right now to create in us character. And in that moment, we had to choose two things. One, to be vulnerable, uh, to say, God, you know what? Sometimes when I look at the circumstances, it's too difficult. Sometimes, God, when I look at the future, it's too hard to imagine how you use me. Uh, God, sometimes it's too rainy for me to be used in this place. Um, And in our vulnerability to meet the Holy Spirit. But as we meet the Holy Spirit, as he's given into our hearts to allow that to create in us hope again. So actually two years on, uh, we don't have those conversations as often now. Uh, Why? Because we've not been put to shame. We took a risk and God was with us. Uh, How will you be a hope-filled person? God is looking for people like you. Not the person next to you, but like you. And he's looking for you, regardless of whether you feel optimistic or pessimistic. He doesn't really care about that. What he cares about is what he's done for you and how he can use you. And what he wants to do is give you hope. 
He wants to make you into a hope-filled person. My encouragement to you is this. Allow suffering, allow difficulty, challenge to create in you perseverance. Keep on keeping on. And as you keep on keeping on, uh, develop the character of a disciple. Someone who when you see a situation when it looks like brokenness and ruin and just blocks on the floor, uh, you don't see the brokenness, you see opportunity. Uh, Allow God to use you. Uh, Allow him to use you to change lives. And as you do that, what will create in you is character. And that character will lead to hope. And if you do that, then I believe now in a year, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, at the end of your lives, you will look back and you will see that you weren't put to shame. That God could take a life like yours and use it. Just like my friend Andrew and my friends who moved to plant a church. Uh, God will use it to create hope. How do we be hope-filled people? Well, we allow God to shape us. We keep on keeping on. We allow that keeping on to create in us the character of a disciple. And as we develop the character of discipleship, we become people of hope. And here's the last thing I'll say. This world right now needs people of hope. It, it needs people who will stand up and say, there's a different story. Let me tell it to you. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. But it involves you. Uh, will you be those people? Uh, will you say, yes, God, I'll, I'll choose a different path. And even if it leads to suffering, I'll keep on keeping on. Because I believe in you, Jesus, that you won't put me to shame. Let me pray and then I'm going to invite Julia up. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you love us. Lord, that you've called us to be a people who keep on keeping on. Uh, who on days, Lord, when it feels like the sun is shining, Lord, help us to run this race. But Lord, on the days when we've been running for a while and all we have in our minds is doubts that say you shouldn't keep going, you should stop now. Help us, Lord, to put one foot in front of the other. And in those moments, Lord, would you allow suffering to produce perseverance. Uh, Perseverance, the character of discipleship. And Lord, character, hope. And Lord, I pray for all of us, for my brothers and sisters and for myself, that Lord, this hope would create fruit. That we would see society changed. Just before I hand over, it just reminds us I'm stood here that um, William Wilberforce, who stood up to the, to, to the slave traders in the 19th century, uh, he famously said, you know, we were too young to know that some things couldn't happen, so we did them anyway. You know, the world can change. Things can be different. People's lives can be better. We can be people of hope. And Lord, we pray you'd be with us and that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name.